I'm Kathy with a C. And I'm Kathy with a K. And this is season two of Killer Destinations. Today's destination is Savannah, Georgia. With a population of almost 150,000, Savannah is located in coastal Georgia and is separated from the state of South Carolina by the Savannah River. Established in 1733, Savannah eventually became the colonial capital of the province of Georgia, which was the 13th and final colony established by the British in the New World. When the city was designed, it was organized into grids, earning it the title of America's first planned city. Tourism became one of the city's four major economic industries in the 21st century. And one of the biggest attractions is that Savannah is widely recognized as one of the most haunted cities in the United States. It has a bleak history, due in part to nine epidemics that swept the city beginning in the early 19th century. The first one, a yellow fever epidemic in 1820, took the lives of almost 10% of the city's population. The flip side to Savannah's darker past lies in its reputation for having warm and gracious residents. For this reason, it is known as the Hostess City. But in 2003, one young woman's practiced grace and poise failed her in her most desperate moment. Sharon Nicole Redman, who went by Nikki, grew up in a middle-class community in West Savannah and was the youngest of three children and the only girl. Nikki was only three years old when her father died. He drowned in 1985 while helping save a child from strong currents off Fripp Island, South Carolina. As Nikki grew up, she was close with her mom Elaine and her two older brothers, and she was a standout student at Windsor Forest High School. She excelled academically, and her extracurricular activities included varsity cheerleader, student advisor to the school's principal, and junior class president. After graduating from high school, Nikki attended Spelman College in Atlanta, which is a very prestigious, historically black liberal arts college for women, and she graduated summa cum laude in three years with a double major in English and pre-med. What a stud. Absolutely. When 21-year-old Nikki returned to Savannah in 2003, she became a high school teacher and began taking classes towards a master's degree in education. That same year, Nikki competed in the Miss Savannah Scholarship Pageant. She was beautiful, poised, and well-spoken. And although she did not win, she was selected as a runner-up. However, when the reigning Miss Savannah, Andrea Bailey, won the Miss Georgia Pageant, she had to relinquish her Miss Savannah title to compete in the Miss America Pageant. When this happened, Nikki assumed the Miss Savannah title in August of 2003. But the next time Nikki's name appeared in the newspapers, it had nothing to do with the Miss Savannah pageant. She was arrested just four months after assuming the title and charged with aggravated assault for shooting her boyfriend, 25-year-old Kevin Shorter, on December 16, 2003. Kevin and Nikki dated for almost three years before getting engaged three months prior. Kevin was a former All-City High School football player who moved to San Francisco after high school graduation to attend community college. He then transferred to the University of Hawaii to play football, but moved back to Savannah before completing his degree. He was working at a recording studio and hoping to become a music producer. 
the Savannah-Chatham Metropolitan Police would only say the shooting was an attack motivated by jealousy and that Kevin was in critical condition. Nikki was released the next day on $5,000 bail, but four days after the shooting, Nikki was back in jail. Kevin Shorter had died from his injuries, and Nikki was charged with his murder. Slowly, the details of what happened the night Kevin Shorter was shot trickled out in the press. It was reported that Nikki found out that her fiancé, Kevin, was engaged to another woman named Rachel Hall. Nikki drove to Rachel's father's house to confront Rachel, but by all accounts, the two women were having a civil conversation until Kevin showed up. Kevin was really mad at Nikki for confronting Rachel, and he and Nikki argued loudly in the front yard. Savannah Chatham Metro Police spokesman Sergeant Mike Wilson told the Savannah Morning News that the shooting happened as Kevin was getting into his car, apparently about to leave. After being shot, Kevin staggered into Rachel's house and collapsed. Nikki Redmond's defense attorney, Michael Schiavone, and interestingly, Kathy, he was her attorney because she was good friends with his daughter. It's all about who you know. It absolutely is. (laughs) launched a very aggressive and public defense of Nikki immediately after she was arrested. He told the press that Nikki had a permit for the gun and carried it because another man, a convicted killer, was stalking her. And it was actually Kevin who bought her the gun to help her feel safe. Shivoni insisted that Nikki shot Kevin in self-defense because she felt threatened when he confronted her that night. He said Kevin physically and aggressively came at Nikki and that she felt compelled to defend herself. Now, Kath, I read that Kevin was over six feet tall and 245 pounds. Same. I'm just kidding. Anyway. (laughs) (laughs) And that Nikki was four foot nine and 90 pounds. Same. Yeah. (laughs) This girl was a peanut. So her defense attorney said that she only shot the gun to scare Kevin and had no intention of actually hurting him. Sergeant Wilson characterized the shooting as a fatal error in judgment and unfortunate circumstances for such a polished and accomplished young lady. And the mayor of Atlanta in 2003 was quoted in the Atlanta Constitution newspaper as saying, quote, it's a domestic dispute. We're living in a region where guns are readily available. When you have weapons readily available and you have people lacking anger management skills, this is what you get, end quote. It only took about a week after Nikki was charged with Kevin's murder before the national news picked up the sensational story of the beauty queen who was charged with murder. Kathy, do you know what this reminds me of? No. (laughs) Well, when we go away to the lake and we sing our songs, what is the song that you always (laughs) sing? (laughs) Okay, well, it's not beauty queen, but everybody sing with me. The homecoming queen has a gun. Everybody Everybody run. run. The homecoming queen has got a gun. Okay, Kathy knows an abnormal amount of this song's lyrics because it's... So funny. Exactly. And inappropriate, but so funny. Do your funny funny part. Okay. The part that you like the best. The part that I like the best is... (laughs) An hour later, the cops arrived. By then, the entire glee club had died. You wouldn't believe what they brought to stop her. Tear gas, machine guns, even a chopper. And then in the background, you hear the chopper going, throw down your gun and tiara and step off the float. 
<laughs> so every summer I hear the same song where she excitedly like recites every freaking lyric. <laughs> All the kids know it too and love it. Oh my God. It's so funny. Who sings it? Is it Moon Unit Zappa? No, uh, that's Valley Girl. Oh, that's right. Uh, okay. It's um, Julie Brown. We know a Julie Brown. It's not that Julie it's Brown. It's not the same Julie Brown. No. Exactly. So now you have a taste of what we do at the lake. <laughs> and you understand that alcohol's involved. <laughs> <laughs> so getting back to the story, CNN, Headline News and other big name shows covered the case. Defense attorney Shivoni went on national morning shows talking about it and his client's innocence. And interestingly, he went on the Today Show and was interviewed with a captain of the Savannah Chatham Police Department. Despite Nikki claiming she had a gun because she was afraid of a stalker, according to an article in the Savannah Morning News by Nate Reens on December 23, 2003, an initial check of Chatham County Superior Court records and calls to the police department and the school system where Nikki worked failed to find any official complaint or report of Nikki reporting concerns for her safety. Ten days after Nikki was arrested for killing Kevin Shorter, Chatham County Superior Court Judge John Morse Jr. granted her bail after he determined she did not pose a flight risk or a danger to the community. Nikki was released from jail on $25,000 bond, which included the stipulations that she had to adhere to a 7.30 p.m. curfew and have no contact with Kevin Shorter's family. At the same hearing, Judge Morse issued a written ruling that imposed a gag order that prevented Nikki Redmond, her attorney Michael Schiavone, and any person with knowledge of the December 16, 2003 shooting from speaking to reporters. This seems awfully broad to me, Kathy. It is broad. I'm not sure it's legal, but he probably didn't care. He just waved his magic wand. You know how judges are. (laughs) Made his proclamation. So in a separate article by journalist Nate Reens, a local defense attorney, Alex Zipperer, said the gag order was unusual, but based on the amount of media coverage the case had attracted, it might be warranted to ensure the news stories would not hinder jury selection. Just a week or so after it was reported that there were no records of Nikki Redman reporting a stalker, it was revealed that in fact she had filed a report. But it was with the Savannah Chatham County Board of Education Police Department. Defense attorney Shivoni provided an incident report that showed on November 10th, just a month before Kevin Shorter was shot, Nikki reported that she had been approached on numerous occasions by a man who lived near the high school where she taught. A police officer assigned to the high school submitted a report that a mental patient identified as 42-year-old Henry Savage had shown up at the school's front office several times asking to see Nikki. The report, which also noted that this man was already known to authorities, said Savage lived just across the street from the high school and he had a pattern of going to the school looking for Nikki. Savage also had a history of disturbing behavior. He pleaded guilty to voluntary manslaughter in the 1986 killing of his own mother. Police said he was the one who called them to the home, and when officers arrived, he leaned out the front door wearing a bloody shirt and told officers, my mother cut me and I cut her. Before his sentencing, Savage was ordered to be examined by a doctor at the Georgia Regional Hospital. Now, his report said there is considerable immaturity in his personality structure, along with impulsivity and lack of control of emotions, and many episodes of violence not related to mental illness. This picture adds up to a person 
who has to be considered extremely dangerous. Savage served eight years of a 15-year sentence for his mother's death. Just months after being released from prison in 1994, Savage admitted to stalking a woman on a busy Savannah street. And according to a witness count, the woman pulled a gun and Savage just laughed and continued to walk towards her. And then she cocked the gun and that's when he started to back off. So this man is... Cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. (laughs) (laughs) That's the PC way to say it. (laughs) Yes, Cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. Exactly. (laughs) Now, before Kathy goes with any other serial slogans, (laughs) I need you to know that in response to Nikki's complaint, the Board of Education Police ordered Savage, who is not charged with any criminal offense with respect to Nikki, to stay away from her and the high school grounds. A preliminary hearing in the case was held two months after Kevin Shorter's shooting before Chatham County Recorder's Court Chief Judge Larry Dillon. Kath, in Savannah, the Recorder's Court is the same as a municipal court. Rachel Hall, the other woman Kevin Shorter was involved with, testified that she had been engaged to Kevin for three years and they had intended to be married in July 2004, which was just eight months after Kevin Shorter was killed. Rachel spoke about what happened on December 16th at her father's house. She testified that Nikki knocked on her door and introduced herself and told Rachel it was time for her to know that Kevin and Nikki were dating. Rachel said the conversation with Nikki was civil until Kevin arrived. When Kevin came up to them, and this is a quote from Rachel, Kevin and Nikki started fussing and cussing at one another. Fussing and cussing? Fussing and cussing. That's my new favorite phrase. Rachel testified that as the arguing wound down, Nikki and Kevin both walked towards their cars to leave. Rachel turned to go back into her house, thinking the arguing was over, but before she reached the front door, she heard a shot. She did not see Nikki fire a gun, but when she turned around, she saw Kevin limping toward her, and he said he had been shot. So Nikki testified that she saw Kevin reach into his car and she always knew he had a gun with him. So she assumed he was going to get his gun and shoot her. That was when she fired the shot to scare him and then drove away, not realizing she had actually hit him. Defense attorney Shavoni told Judge Dillon that the evidence did not warrant a murder charge because it was clear that Kevin was the aggressor. He argued that you had a 245-pound man going against a 90-pound girl. She was scared and she was trying to protect herself. However, Judge Dillon disagreed and he referred the case to Superior Court for trial. Now, Kath, that prompted the district attorney to do what was required under Georgia law, which was present the case to the grand jury because of the nature of the felony. Two months after the preliminary hearing, on April 21, 2004, the district attorney presented its case to the 21 members of the Chatham County Grand Jury. Savannah Chatham Metropolitan Police Detective Frank Chisholm was the lone witness prosecutors brought in to testify about the case. That same day, shockingly, yeah, the grand jury issued a five-count indictment against Nikki Redmond. The charges included one count of malice murder, which is intentional murder, one count of felony murder, which is, oops, didn't mean it, sorry, murder. (laughs) (laughs) You're tarnishing your legal degree. (laughs) Basically, it's a killing during the commission of a felony. And no intent is required. Correct. Thank you. Mm -hmm. One count of aggravated assault and two counts of possession of a firearm during the commission of a felony. Almost four months later, in August 2004, Nikki Redmond pleaded not guilty. 
Jury selection started on March 7, 2005, 16 months after Kevin Shorter was killed. Despite concerns that media coverage might have made it impossible to find an impartial jury, a jury was actually seated that same day. The judge and attorneys questioned a pool of 60 potential jurors for more than seven hours on their pretrial exposure to media coverage of the shooting. The jury was comprised of nine women and three men. Now, Kathy, what I thought was really interesting when I read this in the paper is that there were two jurors they did not choose. One was a Savannah Chatham Metropolitan Police officer who showed up as a potential juror wearing his uniform. Okay, that's kind of funny. I'm actually surprised he didn't get in trouble for that. Well, I wonder if police officers are automatically exempt like they are in California. But why would he even show up then? I have no idea. But he made sure he didn't get on the jury. Well, wearing his uniform would have nailed that coffin shut. The other juror who was excused was Chatham County State Court Judge Herman W. Coolidge Jr. Okay, that's kind of funny too. You would think that he would be excused. Trial began the next day. Nikki Redmond was facing an automatic life sentence if convicted. But before the trial started, Assistant District Attorney Anne Elmore withdrew the lesser felonies and told the judge she only wanted to pursue the murder charges against Nikki. During her opening statement, ADA Elmore presented Nikki as a vengeful, jilted woman. She told the jurors that if Nikki could not have Kevin, then no woman could. Quote, behind her public image, the whole tiara thing, there's the reality where Nikki totes a gun and threatens Kevin Shorter with it on several occasions before she actually shoots him, end quote. The first prosecution witness, of course, was Rachel Hall. ADA Elmore began by playing the tape of the 911 call Rachel made that night. The jury heard Rachel begging for an ambulance and telling the dispatcher that Kevin had just bled all over her mama's carpet. Kevin Shorter's voice could also be heard faintly in the background saying, I can't breathe. On the tape, the dispatcher promised to send an ambulance right away. Rachel then testified that it was Nikki who threatened Kevin, not the other way around. She told the jury that Nikki had come to her house and talked calmly until Kevin arrived. She testified that Kevin was angry and yelled sexual insults at Nikki. Rachel repeated the same thing she said at the preliminary hearing about Nikki and Kevin starting to leave and her turning around to go inside her house. As we know, that's when she heard the shot. What Rachel said was that Nikki fired the gun from her car window and shot Kevin in his right butt cheek. What we later learned during the autopsy was that the bullet pierced his femoral artery as it exited just below his hip and he died three days later at a Savannah hospital. The second witness to testify was Georgia Bureau of Investigation Firearms Examiner Chris Robinson. Despite police reports stating that the bullet Nikki Redmond fired ricocheted off Kevin's car before hitting him, and despite officers documenting a ricochet mark on Kevin's car, Robinson said there was no ricochet. He testified that the slug had no markings or deformities to indicate that happened. There was also no auto paint found on the bullet, which you would expect if it scraped the side of a car. However, when pressed on cross-examination, if a ricochet was possible, Robinson said he could not completely rule it out, but if it happened, it would be the most perfect ricochet bullet he'd ever seen. The prosecution also brought Dr. James Downs to the stand. He was the Chatham County Medical Examiner who performed Kevin Shorter's autopsy. Dr. Downs showed jurors photos of Kevin's body and wounds and testified that Kevin died from blood loss after the bullet severed his femoral artery. 
Although Kevin was not pronounced dead until three days after the shooting, Dr. Downs testified that doctors had to twice revive Kevin after his heart stopped before he was finally declared brain dead and taken off life support. On cross-examination, defense attorney Shavoni pressed Dr. Downs on whether Kevin might have survived had paramedics reached him sooner and doctors acted more swiftly in giving him a blood transfusion. Path, it turned out that the ambulance was not dispatched until 14 minutes after Rachel Hall called 911 and did not arrive until six minutes after that. What a nightmare. So apparently what had happened is when Rachel called, the dispatcher said she would send an ambulance right away. She actually did not dispatch an ambulance until after she and Rachel hung up the phone, which was 14 minutes later. Defense attorney Shavoni also asked Dr. Downs if doctors had punctured an artery when putting a tube in Kevin's chest. The medical examiner acknowledged that after repairing the damage to Kevin's femoral artery, doctors hit his intercostal artery. Dr. Downs also acknowledged during his testimony that doctors did not repair the artery until the next day, leaving Kevin bleeding internally in his hospital bed for 12 hours. I can't even imagine. That is so horrible. In a murder case, obviously, you have to prove that the causal connection to the death is the hand of the individual who's charged with murder. Right. But like in a civil case, if somebody injures another person and that person goes to the hospital and the doctors commit negligence and kill that person, there are actually jury instructions that say it is foreseeable that medical negligence will occur. So the first person's still on the hook for it. Okay, and so that explains the medical examiner's response, which was he insisted the gunshot was what killed Kevin. Quote, the manner of death is homicide. The method of death is the effects of a gunshot wound. If it was not for the gunshot wound, Kevin Shorter would not have bled at all. End quote. Bonjour, parlez-vous français? Me neither. <laughs> Despite the fact that I paid for it in college, which is why I need Rosetta Stone. And so do you. As you all know, I've used Rosetta Stone in the past for my German and it's wonderful. And in fact, my niece is going to be studying abroad this fall and she's going to be using Rosetta Stone so that she can learn the language and have a much more enriching experience while she's abroad. Rosetta Stone has been the trusted expert for 30 years with millions of users and 25 languages offered. And they have speech recognition, which gives you feedback on your pronunciation. They also have two different options available to use it. It's available both on your desktop and through an app. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, Killer Destinations listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com today today. So, Kath, you know how I always joke about having early onset dementia? But I keep telling you it's because you have so many balls in the air. I know. But it's like my mind is just so scattered. So I tried the supplement Magic Mind and I love it. We've talked about this, too. Working full time jobs, doing a podcast, which we always talk about the fact that if we ever knew really how much work it was going to be, we never would have started it. Exactly. <laughs> but it's hard to keep your focus. It's hard to keep our energy levels up. So we heard about Magic Mind, which is a supplement that you take in addition to your morning cup of caffeine. It was actually created by a guy who used to work in Silicon Valley and he started having heart problems because of how much caffeine he was drinking. And then he wound up developing this product. And I was concerned when I started taking that, that I would have to stop drinking coffee, but that's not the case. 
They basically say, take this with your regular morning routine, whatever it is. And here's the difference that I notice. So I know that in the afternoon, I just kind of like hit a wall and I get really sluggish. I notice with this, drinking a shot of Magic Mind in the morning, I do not need an afternoon coffee. And your energy level stays the same all day. Exactly. Like it feels very stabilizing. For me personally, I am cautious about supplements. (laughs) So I actually called my doctor and just wanted to kind of run through, hey, these are the ingredients. What do you think? And she was actually very excited about it. So they have like seven or eight ingredients in this. All of them except the organic agave have links you can click on and it will take you to a National Institute of Health study talking about this ingredient and what the benefits are from it, which I thought was great. This is not an inexpensive product, but no good product ever really is. However, if you decide to cut back on coffee, you're buying a lot less. You're actually saving money with Magic Mind. I have been really pleased, as I know you have been, Mm -hmm. with the results of this product. We have started talking about these great results with our family and friends. So if anyone's interested in checking this out, we absolutely recommend that you go to their website, magicmind.com. M-A-G-I-C, mind, M-I-N-D.com. And if you do purchase it, we have a discount code, KillerD20. This will give you 20% off a one-time purchase or 56% off your first subscription. But the subscription discount is only available for the next 10 days. So if any of you try this, just hit us up on Instagram and let us know. Several of Kevin Shorter's friends who all knew about Kevin dating both Nikki and Rachel were brought to the stand to tell the jurors about the love triangle. They all said Nikki was second to Rachel in Kevin's eyes. Kevin saw Rachel during the day and only went to see Nikki at night. And although Nikki also wore an engagement ring, they said Kevin told them he would not marry her. You know, the other thing I read, Kathy, is one of Kevin's friends testified that he was out with Nikki and Kevin and Kevin made the comment that Nikki had this gun, but she would never use it. The friend said Nikki then pulled the gun out of her purse and showed it to the friend and then put it back in and said, I'll use it on you right now, Kevin. So I think that's what the ADA was referring to when she said that Nikki had threatened to shoot Kevin on several occasions. ADA Elmore also brought a Cobb County police officer to the stand. Now, this county is about three hours west of Savannah, and it's where Nikki lived while at Spelman. Officer Kristen Yeager testified that she was dispatched to Nikki's apartment after a 911 call came in about a domestic dispute. Kevin was at her apartment and said that Nikki got upset when another woman called his cell phone. He said that he and Nikki began to argue, then Nikki hit him in the face. Kevin said he held her back to keep her from striking him again. Officer Yeager testified that she advised Nikki to break up with Kevin because Nikki had confided that she thought Kevin was cheating. Nikki also told the officer that Kevin choked her, pushed her, and kicked her. Officer Yeager told jurors that she did not arrest Kevin Shorter because she did not see any bruises or marks on Nikki. Deputy Mike Wiggins, who was an EMT, was one of the first officers to respond to Rachel's 911 call, and he testified that he talked to Kevin during the 20 minutes it took for an ambulance to arrive. Kevin said he knew he was dying and insisted on describing how he got shot. Deputy Wiggins testified that Kevin told him Nikki Redman meant to shoot him. According to Deputy Wiggins' testimony, Kevin said Nikki told him, I ought to shoot your ass. Now, Kathy's last statement, which obviously is a very dramatic statement, was the first time the defense attorney heard it because when Deputy Wiggins wrote the report, there was no mention of what we call a dying declaration. 
And then we find out that he actually didn't write the report until eight months after the shooting, which is actually mind blowing. And so on cross-examination, the defense attorney, I'm sure he was on fire about this. Was he hopping up and down? He was probably hopping up and down. So he cross-examined Deputy Wiggins, basically saying, what the heck? How come this isn't in your original report? And Wiggins said his superiors and prosecutors trained him not to volunteer information or talk to defense attorneys, which is actually a ludicrous response. After three days of testimony, the prosecution rested its case. The defense case began the next day. Now, at the beginning of the trial, during defense attorney Michael Schiavone's opening statement, he presented Nikki Redmond as an abuse victim who acted in self-defense. He told jurors that Kevin had abused Nikki during their relationship and threatened to kill her before he was shot on December 16, 2003. Kevin had become outraged with Nikki when she went to see his other fiance, Rachel Hall, to discuss their rival relationships. Shivoni also said Kevin was furious, and the first words out of his mouth as he was charging at Nikki were, Bitch, I'll kill you. Shivoni told jurors that Nikki feared Kevin and thought he was reaching for a gun in his car. He said that although Nikki is right handed, she fired the gun with her left hand because she intended the shot to be a warning to scare him and slow him down. Shivoni also told jurors that Kevin Shorter could have survived his wounds. He pointed to the 20 minutes it took for the ambulance to arrive and said the delay was so egregious that the dispatcher was fired that same day for this error. Once the defense started its case, the first witness called was Kelly Fight, a retired ballistics examiner for the Georgia Bureau of Investigation. On the stand, he described to jurors the crease that was found in the side of Kevin's car with a short strip of paint scraped off and the bullet holes in Kevin's pants. Mr. Fight testified that based on photographs of the scene, there was no doubt that a bullet hit Kevin's car. So Kathy, Mr. Fight, who actually helped train the prosecution's expert witness, testified that he partially drew his conclusion about the bullet first hitting Kevin's car based on the jagged hole where the bullet entered Kevin's bloodstained sweatpants. He told jurors the jagged hole indicated the bullet was tumbling as if knocked off course when it hit Kevin. A straight flying bullet would have left a perfectly round hole. Nikki's mother, Elaine Redmond, also testified and told jurors about the night of the shooting. Mrs. Redmond said that she was on her way home from Bible study when Kevin Shorter called her. He told her that Nikki was banging and beating on the hall's doors. Mrs. Redmond testified that she replied, Kevin, you know what your problem is? You want your cake and icing too. That's not the phrase, though, right? No, I think it's like, have your cake and eat it, too. But I actually like hers better. Anyway, so Mrs. Redmond hung up on Kevin, but Kevin's call concerned her, so she called Nikki. She told the jury she did not hear any banging when Nikki answered the phone. Instead, Mrs. Redmond heard her daughter speaking calmly with Rachel Hall. So Mrs. Redmond called Kevin back to tell him that everything was fine, and he told her he was already headed to Rachel's house. Mrs. Redmond then called Nikki back and told her to leave because Kevin was on his way. However, Mrs. Redmond testified by the time she made that call, Kevin was already there. So, Kathy, on Friday, Nikki Redmond took the stand in her own defense. 
What I thought was interesting, and I thought you would think this as well, is that she actually began her testimony by reading a stack of academic honors and award certificates she had received from kindergarten through high school. (laughs) What kind of kindergarten awards are they? Well, I got one for being the best napper. (laughs) (laughs) Best letter formation, perfect attendance. Exactly. (laughs) Did you know my brother got an award for perfect attendance in grammar school as well as high school? I have to assume it's your older brother. Yes, exactly. (laughs) I love your younger brother. I'm assuming it's your older. (laughs) Definitely my older brother. But for high school, now that I think about this, it had to have been no unexcused absences because I specifically remember when he was a senior, my mom let him skip a day of school to go to a Who concert. So she must have written some letter because you still got this award when he was a senior. I don't even think, though, 100% attendance is supposed to include any days. Yeah, I don't know. But I'm going to have to remind my mother of that so she can talk to the priest about it in the confessional. (laughs) (laughs) He has a false award. I lied for my son. But he knows. We'll talk to my brother about that award. He should do it, too. (laughs) (laughs) Now, after going through this plethora of awards and certificates, Nikki described graduating from Spelman College in three years and her first year teaching English, Spanish, and literature at a Savannah high school. She told jurors that she and Kevin met at a nightclub in 2000 and began dating him after he won the approval from her mother and two older brothers. But nine months into their relationship, she told jurors his dark side surfaced. She testified that he would often slap her, sometimes leaving bruises on her face. Once, he smacked her so hard that the impact flung her off the trunk of the car she was sitting on. Nikki said the first time Kevin slapped her, she was stunned, but he sincerely apologized. So she tolerated the choking, kicking, pushing, grabbing, dragging, and punching. She said twice she hid black eyes because she loved him and had started to accept that that was part of his personality. When her attorney asked how she could stay with him when he hurt her, she said she wanted to help him change. Nikki accepted an engagement ring from Kevin in September of 2003, just about three months prior to the shooting, not knowing that he had also given a ring to Rachel. A month after getting engaged, she called the police after an argument in which she said Kevin grabbed her by the throat and threw her to the floor. And despite telling jurors how Kevin slapped her and cheated on her, She denied being in a jealous rage when she fatally shot him. She said she never had a boyfriend who had not also had some type of relationship with another woman at the same time, sexual or otherwise. So jealousy was never an issue for her. According to an article in the Savannah Morning News, it wasn't until after the second day of testimony that she told the jury what happened on the day Kevin was shot. She said that Kevin drove up and got out of his car, leaving his door open. His first words were, bitch, I'm going to kill you. And he was shaking and trembling. She told the jurors that she had never seen him this mad before. And then he came after her. She got into the car, reached for her gun, and put in the ammunition clip. She then pulled out the gun to scare him into staying away. But when he saw the gun, it made him angrier. Nikki testified that Kevin said, you're going to pull a gun on me? You don't know what I'm fixing to do to you? And with both hands, he pretended to shoot a gun. So Nikki told the jury that she started her car and began backing down the driveway, keeping her eyes on Kevin the whole time. Nikki then told the jury that she saw him reach into his car and she knew he was reaching for his gun. So when she saw him start to draw his hand out of the car, she held her gun out the window and fired. She told the jury that she actually aimed away from him 
She said she kept driving because she had no idea she had actually hit him. And on cross-examination, the ADA, Ann Elmore, pointed out one inconsistency in her testimony. She never told the police, and it was never documented in any report, that Kevin had threatened to kill her that day. Nikki simply responded that the investigators never asked her. And when ADA Elmore told Nikki police never recovered a gun from Kevin's car, Nikki said she believed Kevin's friends got to the scene and took the gun before officers arrived. The next day, closing arguments were held, with each side focusing on the central issue in the case. Did Nikki Redmond intentionally shoot her boyfriend, Kevin Shorter, or did she fire in self-defense? You know what, Kathy, as I was doing the research for the case, I'm not sure if you saw this, but I came across a rather obscure article that was published in a Canadian newspaper about a week after the trial concluded. And it noted that that during the trial, and this was only about two weeks, Nikki's hair color and her clothing changed. The very first day of trial, she had lightened her hair. So it was a reddish blonde color and she was wearing a very striking business suit. But as the days went on, she changed her appearance. She went from this tailored beauty queen to someone who started wrapping herself in what the Savannah Press referred to as a shawl. And what I noticed most about her body language was as time went on, she would clutch the shawl around herself and almost like fold in on herself as she spoke to the jury or as she sat at the defense table. Oh, that's interesting. I didn't read that article. It was a very different energy she presented from the beginning to the end. Interesting. Defense attorney Shavoni pointed out that ADA Elmore had made numerous personal attacks on his client during the trial, including unpleasant implications about her appearance, education, and religion. But the comments that Shavoni said that the prosecutor made about Nikki's appearance, religion, education, and her tiara, and her tiara, yeah. led Shavoni to ask the questions Is this prosecution personal? Is this an attack on Nikki because of who she is? He actually suggested that the prosecutor had tried to make up evidence in order to fit her theory of Nikki being the jealous woman. The prosecutors argued that Nikki could have fled the scene rather than fired. She was already in her car driving away. And they noted that police found no gun in Kevin Shorter's car. They also noted that Nikki shot Kevin in his right butt cheek, which means not only did Nikki shoot an unarmed man, but she also shot an unarmed man whose back was to her, whether it was a ricochet or a direct hit. Finally, the prosecution pointed out Nikki's admission that she shot at Kevin to scare him. The prosecution said it probably did scare him just before it killed him. On Wednesday, March 16, 2005, the jury of nine men and three women deliberated for nine hours over two days before reaching its verdict. Not guilty. Nikki Redmond left the courthouse without speaking to reporters, but she gave her first interview just a few hours later from a conference room in her attorney's office. She said the prosecution built her into this larger-than-life obsessed beauty queen that had to have everything her way. And she also expressed just how awful it was to sit in a courtroom every day and hear people say things that weren't true. What she wanted most was to be her old self again. About three weeks after the final verdict, an article in the Savannah Morning News by Kelly Kramer shed light on the jury's process during deliberations. The jury foreman, Reverend Frank Wilson Jr., shared his thoughts, but other jurors did not wish to speak. 
Reverend Wilson was quoted in the article as saying Nikki Redmond had the right to shoot her two-timing fiancé. He said the jury felt like Kevin Shorter did have a gun and took the gun with him when he hobbled into Rachel's house. The jury noted that the police never searched the Hall's house for the gun. The Reverend also said the initial jury vote that was taken immediately upon going into the jury room was 9-3 in favor of acquittal. And what was interesting, Kath, is they discussed why wasn't she charged with involuntary manslaughter or whatever. They were talking about the fact that she was charged with these two murder counts rather than something lesser. But because all they had were the jury instructions with respect to these murder crimes, they were like, that dog don't hunt. (laughs) (laughs) That's exactly what I was going to (laughs) say. They also pointed out that they disagreed with the medical examiner's testimony that the bullet caused Kevin's death. They basically said, no, it was the nicked artery that happened in the hospital and went undiscovered that caused his death. Reverend Wilson also pointed out that a contributing factor to their acquittal was the assistant district attorney's treatment of Nikki. Okay, when I read this, I was shocked. I was too. Basically, the lesson is don't be a mean lawyer. And actually, it's not even don't be a mean lawyer, but also don't be an arrogant lawyer. Right. The Reverend said ADA Elmore attacked Nikki and badgered her about her religion, her character, her schooling, and her crown. And to the jurors, the case was not about that. Interestingly, Kathy, ADA Elmore agreed to respond to Reverend Wilson's comments. And in an email, she wrote, quote, while I respectfully disagree with Mr. Wilson on every point, his beliefs and impressions are his own. I believe it is inappropriate to argue with him in public through the newspaper. The jury's verdict speaks for itself and should be allowed to stand as such, end quote. Now, Kevin Shorter's mother, Phyllis, said she and her family were upset by the acquittal. She said, I'm still grieving over the loss of my son and over the verdict. I love my son. We love Kevin. Kevin was put on trial and we're trying to deal with that. He was special. He wasn't a thug and a nobody like they portrayed him. He was also not an abuser. We've got to pray to get through this. First of all, we want to give a shout out to Lauren. Oh, yes. She's a listener who we met over the weekend. She loves our podcast. We love her. We appreciate you, Lauren. Thank you. (laughs) We do. And she was awesome. We had so much fun talking to her and really can't wait to hear if she has any suggestions for cases coming up. Same goes for all of you. Any suggestions, please send them to us. And thanks for listening. 